0: So here we are, John 14, we're going to cover the first seven verses, and you guys, most of my sermon is up here on the slides, because this is, I think, important truths that will be helpful, um, and I'm, I know I'm mainly preaching to the choir today, but you are going to be called on to minister to people uh, who, are, who don't have answers, who don't have the rock to stand on like we do, A rock of ages cleft for me. Well, the rock in scripture is God, and Jesus claimed to be the rock and he he said you've got to build your house on the rock and what was he talking about? Him and his teaching. And so, as we stand on the rock and have refuge, we have to be ready to help others who don't who don't know Jesus, who are hurting right now and wondering how could these things happen? And I'm not just talking about the fire. I'm talking about death. Right? So pay attention. This isn't just a sermon to walk through today. This is God's word God's hope, God's truth that you must know so that we can truly shine in a dark world, a world needing answers, okay? That's how important this stuff is, all right? This stuff, God's word, God's hope. Gosh, don't downplay that. So let's start reading. So verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, wonderful Thomas, the doubter, right? He asked a question we all probably would ask. He says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, good question, Thomas. So he said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a way, a truth and life, but the way, the truth and the life. And to make it even clearer, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Someone else goes on to ask us say, what do you mean? We we haven't seen the Father. Show him to us. And he says, when you see me, you see the Father. Wow. This is a rich passage. And I have to stop at verse 7 or else this would go on forever. But let's just uh, end there and let's pray and uh, we'll walk through this. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, the songs that we sang. Thank you, God, for just uh, blessing Jeff with a good insight into songs to pick. And these songs just were such uh, filled with such uh, truth, wonderful truths. And Lord, in our singing, God, it helps us uh, use music to, to reach us in a different way, to get to our affections and to make us think. And so, Lord, the words that we just sang, God, I pray that uh, they would help us uh, stand on you, find our refuge in you, and Lord, as we walk through your Word, your living, your powerful, your active Word, the Word that stands eternal, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to us as we walk through this, and Lord, that you would give us uh, one that 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 sense of peace, because these are precious promises given to us, and Lord, that you would you would also help us have now Word, biblical. Biblically informed words when people ask us for the reason of, of the hope that we have. Our hope is in you. And that's not wishful thinking. That's grounded hope. That's confident assurance because of who you are and what you said, what you promised, and what you proved in your miracles, in raising the dead, and you yourself rising from the dead and your promise to return. So, Lord, I pray that this word would so ground us that we would have a better uh, answer to give. Um, But Lord, even then, that people, when they come to us, we have to also rest in the confidence that only you can open hearts. So Lord, but just help us to be ready. We want to be used by you for your glory in the midst of all this. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning and all that we have ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, uh, when I was talking a second ago, we were rocked, weren't we? In barely 16 hours, we went from hearing these just terrible, this terrible murderous spree this this young man went on, you know, and, and again, I, I don't know if I told you, but Taylor, two of her friends were in there, two died, and, uh, and one of them I knew a little bit from my days at Bridge Newberry Park, um, and they're, you know, they, they passed away, and she also had friends, and uh, Tracy knows them, too, but uh, Jake's friends, too, That who had just been in there and were, had walked away and then started hearing the shots. So it's just a terrible tragedy. You know, I, I woke up, again, it was 3 a.m. this time here, it was 6 a.m. on the East Coast, and Renee was driving me to the airport, and we were listening to the news, and we couldn't believe it was Newberry Park, Thousand Oaks, Borderline. Taylor had just been at Borderline the week before she left. So it was just terrible. You know, it's it rocks your world. Just senseless death it, from a human perspective, and then you come home. And like I said, I mean, it wasn't just a few hours later we're facing now fires, and and it's it's still going on. I mean, yeah, Michael told me on the way in that there's a flare up here in uh, the Simi area again, and with these winds, it's it's not ending. I mean, Michael told me that we have friends friends that he knows that have lost their homes out in Malibu in that area. Um, it, gosh, yeah. Two days ago, there was word was getting out over Instagram looking for people, and so it's it just you know this is scary times, right? And times of uncertainty. You know, what was that? Yeah, Paradise. My grandparents lived in Paradise, right above Chico. It, there's only, a, from what I understand, just a hospital survived. You know, so there's just terrible loss. I had friends who were in the the fire that was up by Shasta just a, what a couple months ago. They had to be uh, evacuated, too, and there's loss of life. I mean, it's been crazy. It's been a crazy year for sure. Um, but th- that means, you know, times are, uh, are uncertain, you know. So if we're looking for security and hope from a human perspective, that's been rocked, right? Kids are supposed to outlive us, right? Homes are supposed to be the roof over our head. That's our security, you know, our, where we stay warm at night, it's it's also for many of us, that's our investment. That's going to be a big part of our retirement. So all these things, you know, come into mind. and But it does remind us that life is short and life is fragile. So, um, you know, and I, like I put, I mean, I kind of was walking through this mentally because there's so many things to try to figure out, but we recoil, right, against what's happening here. But here's the deal, too. We also rejoice because, I don't know if you've been watching, but, man, to see the outpouring of people wanting to help. I mean, people surrounding their friends, opening up their homes, going to serve. It's, I saw many, there's youth groups that were going to where the, state, you know, the firemen were to bring them food and water and to thank them. So we also rejoice in seeing you know, people wanting to help. And all for this, and I really, as the Christian community, you know, stands up, we also have that sense of rest in the middle of this. I want to keep reminding us of that as Christians, we can rest in the middle of the storm, not ignorant or, or, you know, denying the pain or even feeling it ourselves because it personally has affected us and is affecting us, but we can still have that sense of, of peace because of who God is. He's still in charge. Right? But and then I again there's so many things with this that this could be a series of sermons, but I also want to help you think through how you can respond. Right? First of all, compassion. Right? Again, for, for those of you who are in here, many of you have felt this personally, and we want to, you know, help you in any way we can. But there's many people who need a listening ear they don't need answers right away. If they've lost their home or lost a loved one, the best thing you can do is presence. Arm around them and just listen. I've been in the homes of people who their their son in the mid-20s uh, committed suicide. You don't have to have ready answers there. You just need to be with people and listen and love them. But the other side of it is that the, we need to be caring, right? We do need to have answers when those questions do come up. and And that's why I want you to think through this passage, and there's other passages too, for sure i mean this this sermon will not address everything it can't um, but I, I do want us to know that we can we can help in in really specific ways and and I'd encourage you to pay attention to see if there's you know uh, like I know again, this youth group went and helped pass out waters to the firefighters. But there's different ways that we can be involved. And so if you find one that you think is a really good one, don't hesitate to send it to me and I can send it out to the church. Um, But just, you know, so think of compassion and care. And uh, also, too, when the questions come, don't give trite answers. Oh, just trust God. Is that true? Of course. But be very careful to do it patiently and lovingly. And if, they, if there's a, a, an angry response because the emotions are all over the place, right? Don't, don't get defensive. You don't have to win arguments, okay? Just be there to, to love them and then, and then walk through the answers and do the best you can. And by the way, who's in charge of, of the words that come out of your mouth and who's the one who's going to be working God is, okay? So don't think you have to have a, a theologically sound answer, okay? So you don't have to pull out these notes and start reading this, okay? But I do encourage you to think through how you would respond. I often think of that. How would I respond to this person or that person? Think it through and then try to find scriptures that will help you, okay? So that's what this is really here for today. So I do want to address also another issue is not just how do we care for people, but where is God in all this, right? Because many people are just saying, how could God do this to us? Or or he must be so weak, your God is so weak, that he can't stop this kind of stuff. But let me remind you of some things from the Scriptures, okay? Uh, About, it's really the bigger questions: evil and suffering. All right, so first of all, the foundation is that God's original design, was there going to be death? The quick answer is no. For the wages of what is death? Sin. See, when there was the fall in Genesis 3... God told him right away two major things. First of all, sin is going to hurt your relationships. It's also going to hurt your relationship to the world we live in. It says when Adam sinned, it says thorns and thistles grew up. And God says, hey, Adam, you're going to work your tail off, but you know what? Whereas before, your job is to just maintain the earth because it was going to be so productive. Now, because of sin, you're going to work hard, and a lot of times there's not going to be anything. Earth, creation itself, groans, it says in Romans 8. Because of sin and what it's done. All the imperfections we see and even in people just with our, our deformities and all that and why we even die, that's due to sin, you guys. Theologically, biblically, that's why. Okay, so don't forget that. And we also have somebody who we handed over the rulership of this world to. God said Adam and Eve were supposed to be the original kings of the earth to subdue and have dominion. Those are king king language in our in their kids. But then when they did that, you know who they handed the rule over to? Satan, the father of lies, the one who wants to destroy and kill. Okay, so don't forget that Satan's involved in all this. And then the last thing, okay, is is God still in charge? Yeah, he is. Okay, so we also have to add to that picture. This when we look at death and loss, we also have to understand God is still in charge. The hard, there's a hard truth that we don't like to hear, but it says in Isaiah 45 that God says, and I actually wrote it down. Listen to Isaiah 45, 5 through 8. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. And he's talking, actually, in Isaiah 45, he's talking about Cyrus, the prince who was going to come, and he was going to be the one who would be used by God, even though this guy was not a Jew. So that's who he's talking about right Right here. So in the midst of this, you need to hear what God is saying about his sovereign control, even over the Gentiles. I equip you, though you do not know me. Why? That people may know from the rising of the sun, the furthest east, and from the west, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and darkness create calamity. That's the word for disaster. So what does God, does He accept responsibility for all this? Yes, He does. He is in control. He even uses calamity to further His plans of redemption. Okay, here's the hard truth, and I'm going to talk about this more, but you guys, we are all going to die at some point. I mean, I'm not to be a downer, but we have to accept that reality. It's true. How many of you recognize you're going to die some point? Okay. Hey, we're not going to live forever in these bodies, okay? Whether it's we die in old age or we die, you know, because a disaster happens, it's, it's going to happen, right? But God is still in charge of when and where. He's the one who has it totally in charge. He goes on to say, I am the Lord who does all these things. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. He's in charge of his creation, and he's in charge of his redemptive plan, and he is going to bring about his his redemptive plan of righteousness. He's going to bring it to pass. Later on in, the, in the, the same chapter, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. So who does he want to be saved? What does all the ends of the earth mean? All mankind. He wants them to be saved. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Ooh, does that sound familiar? That's out of Philippians 2. Verse 11, saying that all shall bow to Jesus Christ. But here it's saying, again, I'm getting sidetracked. But the point is <laughs> that God is in charge of all this. And the point of it, too, is to bring everyone to know that He is the true God. I mean, in mean, 2001, when 9-11 happened, boy, we saw people turn to God really quick, didn't we? Because there was no other hope. In, in a time of, of great fear, we turn to God. But the question is, will we stay with God? Right And for Christians, we have that hope. Genesis 50, 20, check this out. This is another great verse for a man who, ex- who experienced tragedy for over 20 years. Isolation from his family, from his nation, from his people. He was a slave, ended up in prison even though he was righteous. Ended up forgotten even though he had interpreted this dream. I'm talking about Joseph. For 20 years, he suffered and God lifted him up. And when he had a chance to get revenge, did he? No, he did not. Look at this man's theology about suffering. He's talking to his brothers because they think he's going to come after him now. Here's what he said. As for you, you meant evil against me. He called it for what it was. Yeah, what you did was evil, but here's the deal. Why I'm not going to get revenge on you. But God meant it for good. What? God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God used this suffering of what Joseph went through to cause for him to go ahead of the Jews, which at the time of this, there was only 72 Jews. He goes, God sent me ahead to prepare a place, Egypt, where we could be kept safe. And that's exactly what happened because that little tribe of Jews of 70 became how many in 400 years? Well over 2 million based on the numbers we see in the book of Numbers. The fighting force was almost 630,000 men of fighting age, 20 to 40. That means it's a huge. So God used that evil. God was in charge. And then we all know Romans 8, 28 through 29. Well, if you don't, listen to this. And we know that for those who love God, Christians, all things work together for good. All things are not called good, but they are worked together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Christians. And what does he, how is he working everything together for? What's the purpose of it? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's starting a whole new race, quote-unquote, if you follow the theology in the book of Romans, that Jesus is the beginning of a whole new family. Adam and Eve over here of the unsaved human race, but because of what Jesus did, we can now be part of the saved human race. So his good that he's working out is to bring about his redemptive plan and for those who become his children to make us look more like Jesus. That's what God's doing through all of this. He's not going to give us better homes and cars. Well, he might, but that's not what this is talking about. The good that he's working out is to make us more and more like Jesus and to save us eternally. Do you like that? Because it goes on in verse 30 and 31 to say that, you know what? If he saved you, he's going to guarantee that you are staying saved too, all the way to when you're glorified with him forever. Isn't that amazing? So we have to review that don't forget god is in charge and he's using we don't know all the reasons why this is happening but we can rest knowing god's still in charge of this it didn't catch him by surprise he is using this for his glory somehow some way working out his plan then we'll also we remember you know this part of this is that the, the personal side of how we respond but you know this is our first sunday together you know and and i would encourage you to slow down Um, and then turn off the news for just a little bit and to think about the families that have lost loved ones. You know, they're grieving. And if you keep the news on too much, you'll just stay. Because I had to do that after a while yesterday because I was trying to pay attention to see what was, you know, if the fire was advancing towards our area again. But I had to turn it off and to think through, there's people who are hurting right in my community you know, in Newberry Park. And there's people, you know, you guys, the Lees being out of their homes, the Lincolns, to slow down and say, wait, I, got, I have to reach out to them, see how they're doing. And Michael sent me a text saying, hey, how's Sylvia doing? Oh, that's a good, how's Linda Dell? That's right, man, I, that helped me, you know, want to find out how you guys were doing. Because if we just follow the news and don't slow down, we'll stay in a state of, uh, of like uh, anxiety, you know? So, and then, you know, if there's ways, like there's supposed to be some kind of, uh, Memorial for the two kids from Newbury Park who died that we know, and so paying attention to those kind of things to help people grieve, right? And then for you know, uh, there. Yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But our gathering too is we want to honor their memories in a small way, all right? The, those people who died, and and to think through uh, this this process or the, all this stuff that just feels the chaos going on right now. And then we want to say, where, where can we find real comfort and real hope? But I, I did want to stop for just a moment, uh, a, a moment of silence, where you just bow your heads. We're going to do that right now. And I encourage you to pray for the, the 12 families. I don't know them all by name. Uh, I know that the, the officer who died, he's from this community, and I was told he was a Christian. You know, but pray for us. He, he has a family at home, right? And uh, it, for the Dingmans, I do know them. Uh, Lori and uh, Aiden's the son, the son, uh, Chris Dingman is the, the husband. Yeah, pray for the Dingmans. I also know their cousin. I did the wedding uh, for their cousin. Uh, pray for the D- Dunhams, I believe it is, Jake. Yeah. So it, just let's take a moment, okay, just to pray for them. And I'll close this up in a second. Lord thank you uh, that we have hope in you and but we just uh, think of these families that are that are hurting and i pray that uh through connections to christians that you would bring your hope and your comfort to them and uh, lord that if they're not christians these different families lord that they would that they would become christians use the situation to uh, to open their eyes and their ears to you and that they would be saved god May the church shine during this time for sure. We want that so desperately that there would be a harvest of righteousness, of souls uh, entering the kingdom because of this. So uh, we pray for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that a car that's beeping out there? Oh, do we know whose it is? Can we, yeah, Michael, can you check for us so that <laughs> someone's battery doesn't die? Oh, it's going on and off, okay. All right, so, you know, also too, and this is where we start turning to the sermon here, um, or to the passage. You know, in the midst of all this, we have the rock, and I've already mentioned that. But this is where we can find meaning and certainty and hope in all this loss in this world turned upside down. Um, you know, we can we can cry out like past believers, past followers of God, and we can hear the pain in their voice and we can identify with it, and yet we can also see their hope in God and we can be encouraged by that as well. Psalm 42, 1-5. through 5, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me that all all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Here he is, he's herding and there's a extreme distress and these people saying, where's your God? And here's what he remembers, that I'd go to worship. That's what he's talking about here, to the house of God, to praise God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you so depressed? And why are you at turmoil within me? And here's his answer. This is David. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Psalm 56, another... another. David had a very turbulent life, so he had many psalms where he reflected on this kind of thing. He says, My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. But here's the deal. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Psalm 94. If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence, meaning death. I would have been so depressed I would have died. When I thought, my foot slips... Your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your comfort, your consolations cheer my soul. Let's just drop down to verse 22. The Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. Psalm 27:1, this is my one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is no one. No one and no thing. God is our stronghold, our rock, our refuge. There are many passages we could go to. I mean, you see, I'm just giving you samplings all through Scripture that address this kind of distress and turmoil. But I I want to take us again to John 14 today because here we can see Jesus. He's comforting his disciples. Their hearts were troubled. The disciples were no different than anyone else when it came to the fear of death because that's what Jesus had just told them. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to die. And they're troubled. He's having Passover with them and he's told them now for the fourth time, look, I'm going to be betrayed and crucified. Okay, so they're troubled. They're told, what's going on here? You're our our Messiah. You're our our king, our, our rabbi. And even though they had been with Jesus and had witnessed his power over death, the fear of death was always with them. Every time that Jesus told his disciples he was going to die, they were uneasy, and they even tried to persuade him not to do it. <laughs> I'm glad that they didn't work, they didn't went out. Did. So here he is on the night that he's being, you know, going, having Passover. He's going to be arrested and then afterwards to be crucified. He, he, he's trying to reassure, not trying to explain away things, but to explain how they could have security and hope. All right, and he focuses on himself, and that's where we're going to go today. So there's going to be five points, okay, from John 14, 1 through 7. First of all, death and loss are real. As Christians, we don't live in happy land that we we miss out on all this or we pretend it's not there. It is real, and we'll talk about it because we're not afraid of it because we do have answers. Heaven is real. It's not some pie-in-the-sky fake thing. It's a real place. It's real. How do I know? Well, Jesus who lived there told me, and Jesus proved he's God so I can trust in it. And he says, we're going to be with him. Uh, Good for me. Christ's coming is real. The guy who rose from the dead, who did all these crazy miracles that people tried to explain away, but they couldn't. He said, he's coming back. I believe it. Salvation is real. We're not just hoping he comes to take us with him. He said he would for those who believe in him. And here's the deal. We have a sure rock and refuge for times like this. Even when we hear that wind, thinking, oh my goodness, what's going on? He is our rock and our refuge. So let's just uh, walk through verse by verse. And this is not, the sermon itself is not going to be long because it's pretty straightforward. But here it says, death and loss are real. And there is a reason for troubled hearts, right? John 14, 1, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So first of all, we have to face it honestly. We must accept it because when we do, that's when healing can begin, right? You can't can't fix a wound until you recognize, there it is, I got to do something to it. It won't go away magically. I've had to add stitches before. If I would just let them be, what would happen? Depending on where the gash in my body was, I might bleed out. Or have a terrible looking scar, or it gets infected, whatever. You have to treat things. The first thing is say, Yeah, here it is, and then go to that doctor. We're going to the doctor here. And then here's the deal even if we do die, death to us means glory to a believer in Jesus Christ. It really, that's the end, that's the glory. So that's why, that's why when I've done funerals of Christians, I could say this. I said, Look, this is not goodbye. It's not. It's see you soon. It's a graduation party. That's what, that's what a funeral of a Christian is. I mean, again, I, I bring this up, but I, Dick would sit right there all the time. I'm going to see Dick again. I'm going to see my grandpa who died two years ago. I'm going to see him again. I mean, I can keep going on the list of all the past loved ones because this is true. So my heart, though sad, is not troubled. okay. And it's because of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross, and then because of the empty tomb. This is the guy who, who raised his hand when there was a massive storm on the Sea of Galilee, and these fishermen who made a living on that sea were scared to death. That means it was a massive storm. He, he stood up, and he said, peace, be still. And what happened? Poof, immediately. It wasn't just a, you know, the waves just kind of slowly went down. The wind stopped immediately. It was immediate calm, immediate calm both with the wind and the water. And what what was the reaction of the disciples? They were afraid because of the storm. It says they were greatly afraid after he did that of him. It says, what kind of man, what manner of man is this that the wind and the seas obey him? He's the one who says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's the one who went to the, the, the tomb of Lazarus. And what did he say? Hey, Lazarus, come on out. And what did he do? He came out. He had to tell, hey, you guys go remove the, the, you know, that stuff off of him, you know, his wrappings. He walked right on out. And ultimately, this is the one who died on the cross. Why? To purposely take on our sin, to pay the price. And then he's the one who came out from the grave on that Sunday morning. Isn't that cool? Because of that, we have hope. That's why we don't have to be troubled to the point of ultimate despair. Our hope is here. It's Jesus linked himself to God. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. He was making a straightforward claim to deity. I read, I read you out of Isaiah 45. It's God said, God, Lord Yahweh, it says the Lord said, the I am God and there is no other. Jesus is saying, believe in God and believe also in me. Oh, wow. I mean, he said this also in Mark Mark 2, 1 through 12, when he's had that paralytic drop down right in front of him. When he's a huge crowd, they had to dig through the roof. It was an earthen roof, these houses. And his friends lowered the paralytic, paralyzed his whole life, right in front of Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. He said, he said a, a curious thing. They asked him to heal him, but what did he say? He says, My son, your sins are forgiven. And, and that's not what you would expect, would you? Because they wanted physical healing. But he dealt with the more important thing. And then when, when you heard the Pharisees grumbling, well, what, who is this? Only God can forgive. Jesus says, well, you're right. Matter of fact, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Is that easier to say? Or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk? He's asking them a question. I could say that, but you would say you can't do that. But I'm going to show you that I can do that by what I'm going to do to him right now. And here it is. Here's the proof of why I can forgive his sins. But so that you may know the proof that the Son of Man, his title for himself, has authority on, uh, on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, what did he say? Get up and walk. And what did the paralytic do? He got up, took his mat, and went jumping and praising God away. Okay, so how many of you have had to wear a cast because of an injury? Okay, what was your arm or leg or whatever your... What was it like after you took the cast off? It was atrophied, right? So shriveled, and you have to start working it out again. It takes a while to be able to move. Okay, I've had those injuries too. He had been paralyzed since birth, and immediately... In front of everybody, he got up, stood up, was praising God, carried his mat, and went away. So when Jesus does miracles, it's indisputable, it's public, and there's no doubt about it. The only way that they could explain it away is, he did it by the power of Satan. Remember? So you guys got to understand that Jesus is proving himself to be God here, because only God can forgive sins. Those Pharisees were right, but Jesus proved it. Wow. Why have the poor, the wounded, the despised, the rejected, the weak, and abused of the world flocked to Jesus for 2,000 years? Because he's God. And only God can make sense out of this world. Please hear that. Only God can make sense of this world. I mean, if you look at the realities of this world, we also have to see what are Jesus' solutions for them. We live in a chaotic, destructive world. The fires are proving this world is it's destructive. Natural disasters unseat our security. We are small in the face of huge disasters, whether it's tsunamis that wipe out a quarter million people, the, you know, the Indonesian tsunami, or, or the well, Japan tsunami did a big deal too, or exploding volcanoes that's going on right now in Central America. We are small. Huge earthquakes, like, you know, the, the Northridge earthquake. How many of you remember the Northridge earthquake of, what was it, 94? Yeah. ah, oh, we were in Whittier, which rocked our world, right? And then also fires. We've had several in this area, and it's going on right now. But we don't just live in a, a chaotic, destructive physical. We also live in an evil world. Terrorists, crime, and ultimately, everyone look at yourself for a second, our own hearts. There's evil in this world, and you don't have to look very far to see it, because we know what goes on in our hearts. But what is Jesus' solution to this? First of all, what does he think about a chaotic, destructive world? Listen to this out of Luke 13. Uh, if, you, if you came Thursday night uh, to the prayer meeting at uh, Bethany, uh, Pastor Lance brought this up. This is a great passage to the seemingly senseless death by disaster. Jesus brings it up here. He says in Luke 13, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, meaning he had killed a bunch of worshipers. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam, that's a city, fell and killed them. A disaster. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? See, he doesn't answer why it happened. Look at his answer, what, what his response was. It's not what you expect. He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He, God doesn't ever explain to Job what happened to Job. You ever read the book of Job? Terrible things happen to Job, but God never explains why he just says, Will you trust me? Oh, by the way, I'm the sovereign one. Our relationship to Jesus Christ is the most important thing when we face situations like this. What's your relationship? Have you repented? Because if you haven't, when you die, whether it's to a natural disaster or it's on your deathbed in however old you are, you're facing eternity. Are you going to spend it in hell or heaven? That's Jesus goes to this. That's how he answered this. Because that's the most important issue. His solution to the evil we see in the world. What is the reason for the evil? Sin. And what does he say in Matthew 4, 17? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Romans 3, 23, we say, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our real problem is not, is there a fire coming? that's going to destroy our home. Is that there is a fire, the wrath of God and hell that we will all face. And there's a great chasm between us and a holy God. I was at the Grand Canyon. We drove out there, we took a side trip, spent a half an hour there. That's all I needed. I needed 1 minute. I was scared. I'm totally afraid of heights. Oh, the visitor center, you walk up, the point comes out, you look down and hundreds of feet straight down and then it goes thou- you know, I don't know how far it goes down. It's scary. Took tons of pictures. I'm going to post them on Facebook. They're coming. But I was, I, Renee was laughing at me because the rail's over here and I'm walking as far from the rail and then it comes to a point so I'm staying like this. And Renee's just walking up. There's a rail here. I'm like, yeah, it could break. But that was a small chasm when it comes to the spiritual reality of our distance between the holiness of God and our sinfulness. There is a chasm. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no answer from ourselves. It is all of our condition. We don't have the answers. We have tried through philosophy, science, money, politics, and general religion. No one can agree on what the real answer is, and we still haven't found it on our own. But here's the deal. God has provided an answer, and it's not in us. It's from outside of us, okay? Because a lot of people say, oh, just search, and the answer's inside you. No, it's not. The answer is in Jesus Christ. God provided the answer. God lays it for us and lays it out. And this is one of my favorite verses. When you want to evangelize, just use this verse. It's a great one-verse evangelism There's what it's called. For the wages of sin is death. That's one side of the docket. The wages, what you earn of sin, that's us before becoming Christians, is death, eternal death. But, I love that little word, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's a great picture of this chasm, but what's crossed? Jesus Christ is the one who crosses, who bridges that gap for us. doesn't matter that it's bigger than the Grand Canyon. Jesus is bigger than that because he died on the cross for our sins. And here's the deal. A gift is not earned or deserved. Oh, it says, should say, not earned or deserved. Sorry. It is not achieved by going to church. By giving to the poor or trying our best. It is a gift. I've missed a couple knots in there, sorry. (laughs) But here's the deal. A gift is given. You don't earn it or deserve it. You can't buy it. You don't merit it. It's given. Why? Freely, by the the grace of God. But here's the deal. It's going to cost you all that you are. Jesus says you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. That means you have to die to the world and follow him. So how can you be saved? How much money do you have to pay? You have to give. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to give more. Let's just look at Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do you need to do? Crawl on your knees for miles on broken glass? Pay money, go to the right church? Now, do you, are you supposed to go to church as you're a Christian? Yeah, it's commanded, but that doesn't save you. Saving is Jesus' job. You've got to believe. Some people think Christianity is a defeatist religion that features a dead man on a cross. no. It features a man who conquered death, seated in heaven, today offering salvation to all who believe in him. Do You like that? It's true. And how do you get this? We embrace it by faith. For by grace, that's that freely giving, that, that giving even though we don't deserve it. For by grace you are saved through faith. That means through trusting, believing what he's offered to us and promised. And that not of yourselves. Nothing comes from us in this. That faith that we get, the grace that we get to believe, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us is smarter than anyone else when it comes to salvation. We all equally are at war with God and Him with us, except for the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. And we all cross the finish line the same. Pastors don't get in ahead. We all get in together. Because of these truths, though death is real, for a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who trusts in Christ alone, in him alone for salvation and the forgiveness of sins, we are not afraid, but comforted. So Jesus answers impending death with comforting words to his disciples, to us. He cares that we're troubled and calls us to believe in him and find salvation and rest. But he also gives us more comfort in when he starts talking about the place we're going to end up. Heaven is real, and that is the reason for a secured, untroubled heart. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go there to prepare a place for you? He throws a question out at them to make the point clear. He says, I'm going to prepare a place. It's, it's, there's many rooms. There's a room for Everybody. It's a real place, a prepared place, a perfect place. It's home with the Father. And for those who have received the gift of eternal life, he promises this heaven. Heaven is a place reserved for those who have responded to Christ's invitation to come and live there. And what we will be like, here's the deal. This is what we're going to be like. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. That's what we get what is sown perishable you die with a perishable body what is raised is imperishable you won't have a body that dies again in 70 years it's going to last for eternity it is sown in dishonor with all of our flaws and its our decay It is raised in glory. We have a whole new body that lasts for eternity. No more imperfections. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, was he a ghost? How do we know? Prove it to me, folks. He ate with them. They touched him. He was there physically present with them. They, he was there. He ate, ate. He talked to them. But then he had a different kind of body because how did he prove that it was a different kind of body? The doors were locked and all of a sudden he was gone. He's eating with the two, strangers on the, or two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's eating with them. And then as soon as they recognize him, by the way, we will look somewhat like we do now. We will be recognizable. Jesus, he was still recognizable. So the body, now, again, for me, I don't want this body. I want the one that was younger, right? But it'll be imperfect. It will be perfect. Think about that. Think about your perfect self where you feel like, oh, this is when I looked my best, whatever that might be. But minus even those imperfections, that's what we'll have for eternity. But when he was recognized by them, boom, he disappeared. Whoa! But that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. That's why you should know that passage. There's the gospel at the very beginning of the passage, and then it talks about the effects of resurrection all the way through that passage. We will have an eternal body like Jesus Christ's. So, don't be troubled. We, can, we, we have reason because of what he said. Also, we have a real place to go to, so it's a secure hope. And then we also see Christ's coming as real. And this is the reason for a secured hope. And he says in verse thir- in verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So we've got a promised return. We have his proven res- resurrection. We have a promised reunion with him, and a practical rest. That means comfort now, comfort now for those disciples, comfort now for us in the midst of turbulence and unrest. When we were flying when I was flying home. We hit some turbulence. What did the what did the uh, Uh, pilots say? Yeah. Fasten the seatbelts, folks. Well, when there's turbulence, if you've got Christ, you've got a seatbelt. Are you going to feel the turbulence? Oh, yeah, I sure did. Got seasick. (laughs) (laughs) But I was buckled in. And that's the same thing. We'll feel the turbulence as Christians, but we're buckled in because of Jesus Christ. What a promise. Just as he came the first time, so he will return. And the place is a beautiful place. not some fake, you know, fake place or whatever, but it is a place of no crying, no pain, no mourning. It's a whole new reality. It's the real reality because it will last forever. So that is real reality. Not this because this is passing away. It's temporary. I'm going to 1 Corinthians 15 again. "...for this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." Jesus won the victory, but it's not culminated yet. Why? Because we still die and there's still sin present. But here's the deal. When he comes and and there's the eternity starts, that's all gone. No more death, no more sin, no more mourning, no more grieving. Do you want that? I do too. So salvation is real. And that's the reason for a secured future. In verse 4, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, "Uh, no, Lord, I'm confused. What are you talking about? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, oh, Thomas, 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 Thomas. Here's the deal. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying it clearly, so clearly. Christ is the only way to heaven. We're not just one of many religions. There's only one way. Faith is the only way to be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. Some we say, well, that's nice, but this is only one religion. No, let's just go back to what Jesus says. Please hear this. My, when I get into debates with friends who are Muslim or whatever, I just say, look, I, you, you can be mad at me, but you've got to deal. This is what Jesus said. <laughs> I'm just telling you what Jesus said. So check out Jesus and then fight Jesus. You'll lose. John 6.35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the ultimate, John eight fifty eight. Truly, truly, I say to you. That word truly, amen. Amen, amen. <laughs> I say to you of my own authority, clearly this is coming from me before Abraham was born in 2000 BC. I am. I existed before him. This is a man saying this 2,000 years after Abraham. What is he trying to say? Well, the Jews understood right away. Who do you think you are? And they tried to stone him for blasphemy because he made it clear he was saying he was God. When When I was reading to you earlier, I said, I am a way, a truth. Jesus doesn't say that. In the Greek, he's very specific. He says, the way, the truth, and the life. Very specific meaning there's no other ways. And then he even said it even more clearly by using the negative. He says, no one gets to the Father except through me. So you, both positively and negatively, he made it very clear. There is no other ways. He claims he's God. He proved his deity by rising from the dead. His insecure group of nobody disciples saw him resurrected and became world changers. And we can know and believe and receive this incredible gift now. The gift of eternal life offered only through Jesus Christ. And then finally, in this passage, we can know that our rock is real. That relationship, the relationship with Christ, is our only answer and hope in the face of tragedy and uncertainty. You know, a lot of people think, oh, the churches, they're offering pie in the sky kind of stuff. You know, when they look at, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to serve and I'm going to help. I'm not against us going to help in practical ways, but the key is is that actually we have the answer of how to face this. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. You must secure yourself to Jesus. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. You must believe Jesus is God. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's what he said in John 14, 7. You can trust Jesus as your hope, salvation, and security. This is your hope today, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that Dick Heinzelman, Tom Hudgens, my grandpa Bob Schneider, all the loved ones who have gone on to glory, who have died, they all claim to believe in and love Jesus. And I know that I'll see them again one day. If I were to drive home today and die, Grief shirts—it's sure, it's, of course it's appropriate, but you know what? You'll see me again. Renee's flying home tomorrow night. I mean, just go down the, all the list of possibilities, right? This isn't to focus on the and be anxious. It's to say, no, we've got hope. We've got hope. The only real hope. Remember, what is biblical hope? Is it wishful thinking? I hope I get that car. I hope I get a raise. No, that's not what the biblical word means. It's the confident expectation that God is going to deliver on his promises because of who he is and what he said. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, it's a whole list of faithful people of the past. It's called the hall of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. He's talking about the Jews returning to uh, Egypt. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Actually, it was about Abraham returning. Oh, sorry. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, and he has for us too. We have a place to go to. It's secure and it's ours. But because of that, we can live in this life, and we might lose homes. We might. We might lose loved ones. Well, it's, we also, But we also have that sense of foundation in our rock who's promised to bring us to a place. He's prepared it for us, right? So we have security. Death makes, uh, Jesus makes death not a despairing goodbye, but a see you soon for those who call him their Lord and Savior. So the question is, is Jesus your rock and refuge? Nah, right on. For non-Christians, will you turn to him today, repenting of your sins and clinging to him, hoping in him alone for your salvation, forgiveness of sins, hope in this life, and hope for eternal life? And for Christians, here's the choir, are you standing on your rock and hiding in your refuge? Do you trust him as our great shepherd to lead us, guide us, and secure us, no matter what we have or who we know? Folks, if people look at you as you're being evacuated or potentially being evacuated or dealing with this grief of a lot of loved one being lost or passing on what do they see what do they see in you what do they see in me I love the phrase we are living bibles they may never go to church they may never open a bible but they're looking at people who belong to the king so what do we reflect back to them about our king right So I pray that we would have a a different response that can only come from Jesus Christ, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in you. There's many people who are hurting, and we don't promise to have all the answers, but we do know we have hope in you. So thank you for your love, for your salvation, for the hope we have in this life and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.